An elegant weapon for a more civilized Hey man, how are you? Good. How you doing? It has been somewhere between three and a hundred years. It's been a while, dude. <laughs> or you know what? These days it could be between three days and three weeks. To be honest, you can't even tell anymore, right? Oh man, I fucking the most time warping thing in the world right now is Facebook memories. Yeah. You ever look at your Facebook memories? Well, like the, the stuff that pops up, how, how, what, what's, what's the kid age these days in your house? Uh, 12. Okay. So I'm working on 17, 14 and 13. And I feel like I can close my eyes and remember when they were babies. Right. You know what I mean? Like just like turn around and like you, you see something and it's, it's like, it's, it's discombobulating. It's surreal. Yeah. When when we think, well, do you know that cliche? Like, dude, the cliche, right? Of the older you get, the faster time passes. Oh, for sure. And it, it, it like it's so ingrained, it's so ridiculous, and yet it's so true. It, it it's oh my god, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I go in there every day, um, and I like specifically check my memories, and I go into my memories yeah. feed, and it's a crazy range between like things that happened a year or two ago that feel like they happened yesterday. Right. Uh, a few of them feel like they happened 10 years ago. And then I'll see things that happened 14 years ago. And like, it feels like 30. It's yeah. It's and a- combine that yeah. and combine that with, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast. And it's <laughs> all just a mess. Right. Oh yeah, man. No, I totally got you. And that like, like remember summers when we were kids, they felt like they Dude. were like six months long, right? Yes. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I teach, I teach eighth graders and we do, a decent amount of last minute reminiscing about youth right before they go on to high school. And it's like that chapter of your life is really over, right? The, the word really? recess has no meaning anymore. And and we'll talk about stuff. And they, they have that memory too of like summer seeming at last, like it lasted forever when you were eight and like twilight lasting hours and hours. And, um, they're actually pretty interesting humans because they're not quite those high school punks yet. And yet they're self-aware. So they, they have the ability to kind of, kind of get a little more introspective and and think about childhood in a way that is a very unique perspective because technically they're on the verge of it being over, but they're not an adult yet either. So. um, Yeah. You get a unique perspective, man. Like I only get it from, from my son and it's such a different generation and they've grown yeah. up so much online and have yeah. such different interests and such a different outlook on the world. And I'm trying to like, it's that weird thing when you're old and you don't want to be that old dude yelling at kids for getting on your grass or talking about things back in my day. Because right, but it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen anyways, but I'm trying to look at it through a more positive filter 
I'm trying to look at it more that his world's just different. Yeah. And I can't well, expect it to be the same, right? Well, I tell you, it is it is maybe one of the public school teaching is rough. And it's only getting rougher and more difficult to as a job. But an advantage of the last 23 years being in the public school systems is I I have got to watch. It, it's not a night and day thing. It's not what most parents do, which is they see it through their childhood perspective, and then they see it through their childhood's pers- or their, their children's childhood perspective a full generation later. I, for the last 23 years, have got to see time freeze and time move because, you know, first 13 years of fourth graders, I got to watch different generations of fourth graders change incrementally because they were fourth graders every single year. 10 years of eighth graders, 13 turning fourth or 13 turning 14 year olds, just, just that 10 years, drastically different humans. Um, um, way that, that, that thing that you just mentioned about my first year of eighth graders still remembered a sliver of an almost analog world. Whereas 2023, 14 year olds, it is that pure, like your kid, that pure right. generation of, they don't know anything else. And so like to watch that change incrementally is actually one of the gifts of teaching because it's, it's, you know, six to nine months at a time, right. as opposed to this thing that happens to most parents where like, you feel like it's like a time warp. Like it is night and day compared to when I was a kid. Whereas I, I've got to watch it change one year at a time crazy. for more than two decades, which is yeah. just, it's like a slow evolution of mm-hmm. it, right? Absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's uh, just the other day, maybe you can explain this to me. And I know it's a bit different with eight graders and the, uh, you know, the, the ages that you teach, but it was a meme or a TikTok or something about how, you're like kindergarten teacher. You could be at the grocery store and see your kindergarten teacher and be like, no way. That was like 30 years ago. No way they remember me at all. And then they turn yeah. around and say, oh, hello, Peter. Like, right. like, d- does that ever happen to you? Like, can you like remember? Well, I, I Are you also... surprised by the amount of kids that you actually remember? Yes and no. I mean, like I live in the same town that I teach in. Which is, and by so the way, it's, again? Uh, it's Northville, Michigan. So it's literally halfway between Ann Arbor and Detroit. Okay. Um, we are we are the, technically, we are the westernmost sub- suburb of Detroit, and then there's a bunch of open nothingness, and then you hit Ann Arbor. Right. Um, and so, so, like, having that experience, I don't go to the grocery store and not run into a, somebody right. every single time. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Totally weird. But like, it's a totally different experience between elementary school and middle school, too. So like that first 13 years in elementary school, those kids are with you seven and a half hours a day, eight hours a day, uh, you know, for six months straight. And it's a a very different thing than right now. I've got 180 teenagers and I see them for 48 minutes a day. And it's like. You know, are there is there a really solid percentage of of those kids who, when I see them ten years later, one year later, um, <clears throat> sometimes one hour later, where I go, I know their name, I know who they are. Absolutely, are there kids who I know this year? I, I make fun of myself. I tell my kids because, like, 
they walk out of my second hour and you come in to see me like, oh, oh I forgot to turn this in. And you come and see me fourth hour. I'm like, what hour are you from? Right. This is 180 <laughs> of them every day. And I'm old, you yeah. know? So it's like, but like, I tell you what, my wife makes fun of me because uh, we went to the same, went to the same high school and she remembers everything about everybody. And I, I remember your name or I remember your face and almost never both. So nice, yeah. like with my, with my kids, um, former students, I'm much more likely to forget a name. I can't recall an instance where I ran into somebody who's now 18 and working at retail at said shop or somebody that I run into like out at a restaurant. And now they're 25. I can't remember a time where I didn't recognize the kid, even from my fourth grade years. But the likelihood of me forgetting your name is much higher. And that has nothing to do with you or the impression oh, no, you made no, on me. No, yeah. It's way more has to do with like, that's just not the way my brain works. That's just not how anybody's brain works, man. Right now, like, now, did I have Empire Strikes Back memorized at three years old and still do today? Yes. Yes. But like I said, I don't remember <laughs> what I had for breakfast. So good luck with several thousand students over the last few yeah. days. It got to a point with me at Comic-Cons where I... I learned a valuable lesson in like a valuable social lesson where I was meeting so many people. I was going to so many shows and doing this podcast. It's just a schmoozing thing, right? Like that's what I do. So I just meeting tons and tons and tons of people and, you know, being the fucking pothead that I am and just getting (laughs) older, I can't remember all these fucking names. And I used to feel horrible about it. If I'd run into somebody and they'd be like, Jay, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. And I would be like, hey, whoever. I would feel really bad about it. And then I remember one year, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I just started telling people, like, I'm really sorry, forgive me, but I've your name, you know, I forget your name. And I completely forgave myself. I let it all go. I let all yeah. of the guilt go. Yeah. And it and then it was never a problem. It was never an issue. No one's ever been offended. No one's ever fucking not understood. And everyone usually thinks it's funny because I'm pothead Jay. And, yeah, yeah. And it's, but what it also showed me is that it reminds me that people are never thinking what you're thinking. Right. Like people get way too paranoid and they overthink. And I've had my issues with that. And, you know, it's helped a lot with when you concentrate on the little social interactions like that. We're just like forgetting someone's name. Not the end of the fucking world. If somebody forgot my name, I would never be fucking offended by that. Well, you know, it's fun because it's like it it probably there's much more importance put on right by them about the interaction you had, the interaction you're going to have, then maybe remembering this little bit of information. You know what? If you remember my name, but you treat me like a monster, I don't care that you remember my name. You're like a dick. Yeah. But if you're kind, you're like, hey, man, sorry, dude. And then you're still the great you and you're nice. Like, th- then who cares? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's how you treat people. And you're right. We put way too much pressure on ourselves. Of, oh, so much. How that it's goes down. Unnecessary, right? It's crazy. How old are you? I'm 46. Okay, we're the same age. When's yeah. your birthday? January 2nd. Oh my God, you're older than me in the 46th. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm February 10th. 
Are you? So, oh. dude, you're like a month older you than share, me. That's you crazy. share your birthday with my oldest. That's my oldest birthday. I think that sounds familiar. Like, we've yeah. had this conversation. But, yeah, February 10th. And uh, we're 77 babies then. Yes. What so a good year. There's, you, there's, there's, there's some kind of Star Wars significance with that or something. I don't know. It's a some, good year to be born. Something close, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I have been an arborist for 22 years. Okay. Meaning you've been a teacher, you said, for 23, 23. years. Meaning yeah. you started when you were 23? Yeah. Which is insane. That's 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 real young, especially back then. My sister, my brother and sister are both teachers, actually. But my sister, who is now, she's, she's 33, and um, she teaches at Coth Republic here, Mississauga, and... Uh, she got in stupid early somehow as a teacher's assistant because just someone liked her or something and it was abnormal. So she's actually been teaching since she was like that age too, which I never hear of any other teachers I talked to had to like wait forever to find a placement or so many years of substituting. And I don't, it may be different in the States too, but like, it really depends. It really, it's a supply and demand thing. and always has been. You know, right. there's the people who, because there's a teacher shortage in whatever year you come out, they're begging you to go somewhere. And, or, or there's a teacher shortage this spot. This would have been year 24, but I went to Michigan State University and they do it a little bit differently. Since they're such a, um, a vaunted teacher college, uh, you do a thing. I mean, you heard of student teaching, right? Like where yeah. you go in there as a student and you do like a, a marking period or semester or whatever. Yeah. We call MSU, it a teacher's you do a, TA. Yeah, yeah. MSU, you do, they call it an internship and you do a full year. So basically I graduated from MSU. Um, I have my degree, but I don't have my teaching certificate until I do a full year in the classroom and I'm doing grad school at the same time. So I've got half my master's done. Jesus. I'm, te- I'm co-teaching in a classroom for an entire year. So I am technically a year behind if you went to a different college. Experience. You get a much richer experience. You're much more marketable because you've got more experience than your competitor. And, um, you know, basically I taught for a year before I taught. And so I got to walk into that first classroom with a year's experience that most other teachers didn't have. And districts loved that. That's awesome. Um, But that means, that means I would have been 22 instead of 23. Jesus, dude, you're a baby teaching babies. Like I think back to when I first started like doing the work that I'm doing and I did, I didn't know shit all about nothing. (laughs) Right. But but like, you don't think about it that way. Do you like when you're 22, you're ancient in your own eyes. You just go, go, go. I knew what I was talking about. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, that's not exactly true. I'm lying when I say that because I come from a family of teachers. My mom and her two younger sisters all did 30 plus years in the school district I grew up in. My mom was my fourth grade social studies teacher. <laughs> my aunt was my sixth grade health teacher. What? That's Dude, awesome. a 20 week exercise in us not making eye contact because we're not. <laughs> you're talking about that. I am not looking at you. That's um, awesome. <laughs> so like I had some perspective on it. And, and I knew, like, when I sat down, dude, when I sat down, my first two years were with third graders. And I sat down at that parent-teacher conference that first fall, and I was like, I looked at, like, these middle-aged dad dudes and middle-aged mom ladies across me, and, like, 
why would you ever listen to anything I have to say? Right. <laughs> I, am, I am 23. I don't know anything. And I'm talking to you with authority about your kid. And, that is messed um, up. Yeah, they I bought it. They that. bought it, you know, fake yeah. until you make it or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it just goes to show you, like, how position itself, without necessarily, you know, reflecting on who's sitting in that position, can have its own, you know, well, you know what? power, it, right? It's... I think one of the one of the most amazing things, unexpected. How about that? One of the most unexpected things that's happened to me over the last three years on, you know, the, this comics journey that I've been on. You know, my first book, the special edition of the book, and then the the, the Kickstarter of my next book that, that that I'm here to talk to you about today is how much of my experience in the classroom has translated directly to this journey that I've been on. Sure. From from how I interact with people at conventions, how the, the the stamina of repeating the same thing over and over again, you know, pitching a book, selling a book. It's so much like standing up in front of eighth graders in a middle school, uh, middle school classroom, convincing them that grammar isn't boring five, six times a day. Right. Um, you know, that same joke over and over again. And they have no idea that you told it 48 minutes earlier. Right. Um, down to. That that perspective that we just talked about man <laughs> like like here i am now middle aged feeling like the 22 year old right. because all this stuff that i've gone through whether it was selling the book to travis right yeah. to seeing the letters for the first time to seeing something in print for the first time um to go into the ringo awards and get nominated for the first time like all these things it's all first and I've got that energy of that kid, dude. I feel you. Know, you. Yeah, yeah. It's I think crazy. I'm. I think I'm in the most creative fucking time of my life right now. Like I'm yeah, 46. Right? My kid's getting older. Life is settled. I'm so set in my career, it, and now I'm doing things like I've never fucking attempted before. Yeah, and, and you know, along with still pushing the podcast. So yeah, no, I feel you, man. It's weird to be old yet feel so fucking young. And it makes you miss being young more because of what you could accomplish had you known better. <laughs> I know it. Don't I know it? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so here you are, 46, been yep. teaching for 23 years, did a whole bunch of fucking educating. You got three beautiful children, you got a wife, you got a home, and you're fucking making comic books. Yeah. So you make a comic book, it's called Parallel. Uh, yeah. you, you came on this show to talk about it, and then you got uh, nominated for a goddamn Ringo Award. Well, well, Jay, like, I was on this show. You were one of my, I was doing the math on this yesterday. You were one of literally the very first interviews that I did. It's awesome. And number one, thank God for that, because... I mean, you were you were deep into it by I mean, this is this is deep into you knowing how to do this. And I was green as green could be. And your professionalism, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm gonna pay you a little compliment right now. What? Your professionalism, your structure, the way you like I can talk, right? Like I just told you, you got to talk to uh, teenagers all day. Like I can talk, but like you gave me a lot of structural guidance that really helped me later really? on that journey you found because structure in that. No, yeah, but like like knowing how to ask questions, knowing how to make it feel like a conversation and not and not a school project. Not yeah. it wasn't an assignment, man. It wasn't homework. And that yeah. went a long way. You know, like that's listen, the goal. As a lifelong educator, as a lifelong learner, I am built to be that sponge of taking the experience 
and, and, and taking what's good and what's bad and informing on the next thing. If I'm right. going to preach that to the kids, I better be able to do that myself. Right. Yeah. And you were a formative experience for me very early on hmm. about how to do this thing. And let wow. me tell you, it paid dividends because part of the story that happened post you and I talking that first time, because we were like early on, like the book wasn't out yet. Right. It was still like being made. It was still, you know, being drawn and whatever. And we were just kind of early promoting it. Is that sucker? It dropped right into the middle of pandemic, right in the beginning of pandemic. And and Jay, I'm going to be honest with you. My book upon release flopped hard. Yeah. And in the same way that I didn't necessarily know how to do an interview or a pod or whatever, when I first talked to you, I also had that blissful ignorance about not knowing that when your book flops, you either give up and move on to the next project because it's got a shelf life of a couple months. And if it doesn't catch on, it's that's it. Or maybe you uh, walk away from the whole thing because it was just this experience you were trying to trying to do. Right. Because I didn't have that knowledge. I went forward and based on, you know, knowing some things that I learned from your show and a couple others, I, over the next 18 months, did 75 more shows. That's crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't go to cons. You. I yeah. couldn't go to signings. So I just kept on going on shows for 18 months. Brian, where you can, tra- yeah. uh, we were at We were at Baltimore and I was doing my very first panel and Travis is sitting right next to me. And he's like, so I don't know if you know this yet, but I'm going to tell this in front of all these people. What ended up happening was SourcePoint had to go back and buy back a ton of copies from stores to meet the on di- online demand of three here, 10 here, five here from all those shows that I did. And eventually, what probably what I, I think my dream was that would have happened in that first run happened 18 months later, where cons came back, the book sold out. Um <laughs> Two Ringo nominations never would have happened had the word of mouth not spread the way it did by going on pod after pod after pod. It works, man. Um, yeah. And 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 I and I owe a lot of like I said, you were a very formative experience. I appreciate page. those words uh greatly, man, because if I can be part of anybody's fucking origin story, I'm very, very honored and privileged to do that. But and it's cool to hear you put it in those ways because they're kind of new ways I've never heard it before. So I I definitely take that as a huge compliment because well, for me, what I feels, do know, what I yeah. do know is I've always been a comfortable, safe space for new creators. Yeah. For people who haven't done a lot of podcasting or done a lot of talking. I'm my structure and the fact that it is no structure and the fact that I really don't give a fuck. And I'm really just having a conversation. Most of the time I'm doing this podcast, I forget I'm fucking recording it. Unless I've got to sit here and watch whether the fucking internet flies off. Um, Yeah, so that's a quality I do know that I've always had from the beginning. And I know has been a helpful one for, you know, folks in those situations. I do put people at ease just because I don't care. I'm not putting any pressure on you. I'm not hammering you yeah. with fucking hard-hitting questions. And you know what? Often, as as people just heard in the first half of this fucking podcast, you know, we weren't even talking about comic books yet, yet, you know, it just naturally flows into an interesting organic conversation. And that right. was always my goal. Keep it simple. Keep it loose. And, you know, if I can make people comfortable in a way that they can share what they need to share 
and that helps boost their confidence and share that more. That's I can't ask for any more. That's a huge privilege, right? Well, I'll, I'll I tell you what it was. It, it I got really excited because um, w- w- when when we connected again, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, and I looked at chronologically, you know, where this at least the recording of this interview was going to fall in comparison to these other shows that I had booked to kind of promote the Kickstarter and the new book, I was like, Oh God, he's going to be first again. That's awesome. You know, like, (laughs) and I was like, that's so cool because guess what? I am not, I mean, I know what my book's about. I know what I'm passionate about. Like I know what I want to tell you today, but I don't have it cold the way that I will three weeks from now on the right. 20th pod. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm when like, you, and no offense to the other, sorry to interrupt, but no offense yeah, to yeah. the other podcast hosts, but I do know that you're going to have to go through fucking 50 shows being asked the same fucking questions in the same way about the but, same but hey, fucking shit. And yeah. I hate that shit. You're right. Yeah. But, but you're going to be really good at it. Here. You're going to be happy to do it. Cause you're going to sell your book. Right. But th- there's that. And like, I know how to do that. Remember, mm-hmm. earlier today, earlier today, before we're recording, I said, I went through the exact same lines of the exact same lesson six times. Right. And it felt, and those kids, it felt like, the. I guarantee you, it, it felt like the first time for each of them. Right. So, I, I mean, like, I can do that. And if I'm doing my job, the, hmm, I got to be careful how I say this, don't I? But I'm with you, so I'll let it fly. The least elegant pod that I am on, right? The <laughs> yeah. least sophisticated <laughs> show, the least um, practiced and loose or professional host yeah. that I'm interacting with. By the way, sorry, I, I not going to know. Be, yeah, I don't. I and I don't want to be knocking on anybody. I think yeah. everybody in the world should have their own podcast. You know, I'm just like. You can't blame me after fucking 12 years of doing this to get the, the repetitive thing. Like, about I guess natures. my point is, it's too but I hear what you're job, saying. Yeah. If I'm doing my job, you shouldn't be able to tell the difference. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, no, I'm there. I feel I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be as entertaining as I can. I'm going to be as energetic. And you shouldn't know whether I'm having a good, like in front of the students, you shouldn't know if I'm having a good day or a bad day. I'm right. there to serve it, serve you. Same thing here. You yeah, know? it's like you said earlier. The students don't know you told that same joke forty minutes earlier. Like, right. don't think that I don't have go tos when I'm doing a panel. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, for sure. You know, like you know, and that's one of my lucky ways. I'm as in, I'm as comfortable in front of a thousand people as I am as in front of five. So I can go up there and just not care, and that's usually the most fun. You know, when I'm up, you know, doing a panel and. You know, people are relaxed. That's the best thing. But it comes from confidence. It comes from experience, um, you know, which leads to being able to do other interesting things. We should talk about your goddamn comic book, though. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> you know, uh, Jane American is your new yeah. book, uh, Kickstarter, yeah. that we have mentioned will be coming soon. May 2nd, I believe it starts. Yeah. Yeah, it goes um, live on May 2nd. What the fuck is this about? Dude, so this is probably... For as personal as Parallel was, right, those universal themes of existential dread and time passing and the stuff that everybody could relate to and, you know, the the origin story of, you know what, 
Landon's having a quarter life crisis, but it was probably my midlife crisis that motivated me to write the book in the first place. Mm-hmm. Jane American is the personal story. This sucker is inspired by and dedicated to my late grandmother, who at the same time in the world, we're talking about a post-World War II coming of age story, went through a lot of the same things that Jane's going to go through in this book. Okay. okay. Um, it's a 32-page one-shot. Full color comic book. It's an introduction to Jane's world, and it really explores deeply the themes of identity, of gender, of self worth, and of small town societal norms in that post World War II America. Right? There's um, I'm think I feel like it's got hints of stories like uh, Superman for All Seasons, Archie 1941. Um, if I'm going to sum this sucker up, like if I'm going to give you that line, that log line, I'm going to tell you that this one shot is going to break your heart. It's going to make you cheer and it's going to leave you with a shocking cliffhanger ending. That's going to have you begging for more. Okay. Okay. Um, If I'm going to sum this up, Jane's life was as 15 years old in 1946, filled with more than enough responsibility for any young girl coming of age in that wartime, small town America. Okay. Family tragedy. Don't give away too much has completely changed her in some fairly unbelievable ways that are better left hidden. Economic hardships after the war um, have left her with a pretty big choice in her life. She can stay safe, she can stay hidden, or she can embrace who she really is for the sake of everyone that she loves. And the reason why I pitch it to you that way is because not only is this story inspired by and dedicated to my late grandmother, but it's also inspired by every single student who has walked through my classroom the last 23 years, who even in the 21st century still struggle with those ideas of fulfilling their self-worth and being who they are, even when society tells them they need to be somebody else. And you extrapolate that back to 1946 when those strictures were so much more tightly wound and you can just see exponentially how tough it's going to be for Jane and who she actually is, what she can actually do, and yet how unsafe it would be for her to reveal that to everybody. Now, if that kind of hints at what this site or what the... um comic book wrapping paper nerddom is that I've wrapped this story in. Like if you know parallel, you know that it's a dark sci-fi twisted tale, but it's really about those deeper universal themes of time passing and dreams deferred. Jane American is really at its core about identity and gender and self-worth and self-fulfillment, but it's wrapped in a suit. I gotta be careful. It's wrapped in a comic book trope that is much beloved by all of us. Right. And, um, you're going to be left at the end of this book going, oh, I know what this is going to be. And you're just going to want more. I'm super excited about it. Um, okay. So this uh, this is a period piece. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and Jay, meticulously researched. We are talking about. I was about- going to ask. It must be. I'm, I'm curious to how you went about taking these ideas uh, inspired well, by your students and your, you know, uh, who are of a completely different generation than your grandmother would have grown up in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Different times to tackle different issues. I'm not saying research is easy, but this came naturally because it takes place in uh, basically between 1939, 1946 Plymouth, Michigan. That's the town I grew up in. And the factory that most of the story takes place in is a, a, a real place called wall wire. 
that was a wire factory before the war and got one of those war contracts. And they produced uh, what we call Marsden mats. Even if you don't know what those are, are, you know what those are. Those are those temporary runways that they put up in the Pacific yeah. so that bombers could take off while they were island hopping. And Wall Wire got that contract. Now, down the road, outside of Detroit, all the bombers being made, down the road in my hometown, that's where the runways were being made. My great-grandfather worked in that factory, working on that line, making those mats. And I think my favorite part of the research was um, my 99, at the time, 99-year-old grandfather and I yeah. got to take a tour of that factory, check this out, the week before they tore it down and partitioned it for office space. Wow. They had stripped all the modern stuff out. I've got, I had footage photos of all those original fixings and walls and uh, the conveyor belts that the things went down and the train depot in the back. Um, it's like, like down to its studs, Jay, this is going to be, it's, it's a world war two story and right. it's all real. It's like you know, all the names in there are like family names and um, uh, worked really closely with the uh, Plymouth historical society to get everything right. Locations, timeframes, who was where shift times, I've got it because I truly believe if you're ever, if you're, if you're making comics, God, if you're making any art, if you're going to ask your audience to suspend disbelief about anything, okay, whether it be something, an enhancement that a character can do in this case, or the fact that like in, in parallel, you know, Landon's got a parallel version of himself reaching out from beyond. If you're going to ask them to suspend disbelief. I truly believe you've got to be as on the nose, realistic on everything else, right? I'm not. You got to fool them the best you can, right? Well, like, like it, if you're gonna have the way I used to talk about this with the parallel interviews was like the medical scenes. I'm not. I'm going to ask you to believe that another Landon is reaching out and offering him a second chance at all the dreams he thought he left behind. I'm going to ask you to believe that. So I'm not going to let you get taken out of it because the, 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 the medic, the paramedic in the back of the ambulance is saying some BS line. That isn't what the paramedic should be saying when the dude got hit by a car. Right. 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 I'm going to ask you that like he's seeing vision. He's actually in the visions of this other life that he could have. I'm not going to let you be taken out of it because when he goes to see the shrink, she prescribes the wrong medicine. Right. Right. It's it. Everything else is going to be as real as possible to earn your trust. So when I ask you to suspend your disbelief, you're with me. Here's a great example of why that is so important. Everything you just said. This is a big scale example. Um, Netflix, mm. right? The The Man from Toronto. Have you heard of this movie? I have. Woody Harrelson, Kevin Hart, yeah. right? So they make this movie called The Man from Toronto. All throughout this movie, people are saying Toronto. Right when it even I know where you're going with this. Even when it comes down to the people that are supposed to be from Toronto uh -huh. are pronouncing it Toronto, which to anyone from Toronto is sounds so weird that it sticks out like a giant red beacon yeah. and it rips you out of the movie. This tiny little thing, like them not paying enough attention to how the natives actually pronounce Toronto. 
yeah. not Toronto. We're from yeah. Toronto. Second C is this it's silent T. It's it's you know, and it just it rips you out of it. So that movie did horribly here. Literally, like nobody watched that movie here because and you, you know, you just and couldn't... you know when they greenlit it, you know when they greenlit it, they're like, you know who's going to be a solid audience for us? Right, Canada. Yeah, yeah. No, that's probably one of the reasons why they did it. But it also it shows you that the person who made that movie wasn't a Canadian, or at least wasn't from Toronto, or they would have, and... or or didn't. Because guess what? I am not a 15-year-old girl from 1946. Right, right. Or they didn't. They didn't do their due diligence. I'm not a paramedic. I'm not a cop. I'm not a – you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. I, I tell you what. Like, like I, I am so with you on that because it would bother me. Look, we're comic book nerds. Like, we're pedantic a-holes a lot of the time. Continuity? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. come on, right? Yeah. You know, you find something and you're not going to find a more vocal. Well, actually, right. I mean, right. <laughs> we're going to totally uh, comic book guy from The Simpsons, anybody and everybody, any chance that we get. Yeah. So, like, I'm not running that. Ri- well, first of all, because it would bother me because I'm a history nerd, too. So, like, for example, the um, that's why research the is five, the five teaser pages that will be up on the Kickstarter when it goes live May 2nd. Right. The five pages that my artist. Annie Wright has already completed just to put there, just the Kickstarter pages. We're in Jane's kitchen. It's a 1942 scene. Awesome. And I made sure down to the smallest detail, like when you see the ice box in the background, just a little background thing. I made sure that that ice box was a mid 1930s ice box. Right. 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 Not only did I not want it to be past 1942, this is a family who is not rolling in dough. They're not going to have a 1942 icebox. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like Ed, like that kind of detail, I wanted to get it all right. I respect that greatly. There's it's important. Some, I, I, you you know, know what? I'm going to go I'm going to go even deeper nerd on you. So, in that scene, in that five-page scene, uh her mom, Mamie, family name in in my family, brings her home this birthday gift from the factory where she's doing the Rosie the Riveter thing. Right, the same factory that her her husband worked in before her, before he went off to fly B seventeens in the war, and she she pulls back the the oil cloth on top of the the wood crate, and it is a small uh, welding uh, welding torch and goggles, and I made sure that the model of that was like an early nineteen thirties model because what I found out was in nineteen forty two. Wall wire updated their welding to a much bigger rig, and all those old ones got junk. So it like completely makes sense that this smaller handheld one is the one that you would bring home at that same time that they updated at work. Amazing. Well done, sir. So yeah, I love how research can just it it the it can make it seem so much more real. Um, even when you're doing it, like that's just the fun of researching. You know, like I'll give you a little example. I, I, uh, my grandmother was, uh, she raised me on rock and roll, like had all, like she was a total fucking 50s girl and had all these, like Jerry Lee. I'm so jealous. Jerry Lee 45, Sun Record 45s, like just all these original fucking 45s that we would sit and listen to. Great Balls of Fire. I was raised on this shit. And, you know, she would tell me stories of being a teenager in the 50s and stuff, and I would just soak it up. 
and then she was talking about her poodle skirt one day and i was like what was the deal like you actually had one did you go and like buy it like like how many girls wore those she's like oh yeah no we all wore poodle skirts and i was like so just like in greece or in the movies like you kids were running around with these giant poodle skirts she's like yeah you want to see and i was like what do you mean she's like i still have mine and i was like fuck off so we go into her room and she goes in her closet and she pulls out her fucking poodle skirt, man. And it's big white with a big blue poodle on it with like fuzzies and shit. And, and she's like, I made it. She's like, we made our poodle skirts. Nobody yeah. sold these. And I was like, are you kidding? She's like, oh yeah, this is what we did. Cause we all knew how to sew. Every girl knew how to sew back in the fifties. Like no girls didn't know how to sew. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. So she, yeah, she fucking kept her poodle skirt her whole fucking life, man. And just to have it there tangibly in my hands, like to look at. And like, she made this as a teenager in the fifties. It's, it was, it was so fucking cool. I'm, 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 I'm so relating to that. Like when, when we were walking through that factory, right. And it was stripped down. Yeah. Right. Like I was Jay, I was seeing the scenes in my head. I was like, that's exactly where the conveyor belt, that's exactly where the things are going. This is exactly where Jane and the plant manager are going to be walking and she starts to fall behind. Like I I, I could see, oh my God, that's the stairway where that thing happens later right. on in the story. Yeah. That's totally where the off, oh, you know what's right there? It's that old, it's that's where the punch clock goes. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It all, it was so cool. It just came yeah. alive. And you know what? Let's be honest. I, you mentioned something really, really important, I think, because, you know, part of that creative process is obviously the end product that ends in in a reader's hand. But like, I don't know, I, I think I think part of the magic is even if creation is hard for you, part of the magic is in that creation and the world that you're in when you're doing it. And like even you know what? If I had the wrong if I had the wrong clock on the wall in the factory, most people aren't going to notice. Let, let's be honest; all right. but three people right. would not notice. But knowing that I've got the right one, knowing I've got the the one that would have been in that factory because I found a photograph at the historical record museum. Yeah, I don't know. I get some satisfaction in that too. Well, that's okay. Look, I the. I have a big focus right now on self-creativity, like creativity for selfish reasons, which I think a lot of creators to do tend to do from time to time. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the most important part. And, uh, you know, cause like I've been writing a comic yeah, and I've only been writing it for me. And I'm getting a lot of amazing help and advice from incredibly talented, well-meaning people. But I'm also getting a lot of advice that's just like not about the actual creation of the comic. I'm getting a lot of advice on like how I'm going to promote it or do this or do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not even a thought in my head. I'm not making this for you. I'm making this for me. And I don't care if anybody reads it. I'm going to read it. And, you know, like you say, if you see that fucking clock on the wall and it's the right clock, you're going to fucking know that. So you're going to get the pleasure out of that part of you having created that fucking thing, you know? So I get that because it's very important. Like this story I'm writing is heavily influenced by 
a lot of my fucking hiking escapades over the past few years mm-hmm. and being in different places in Ontario out in the wilderness and being like, Hey, that is a good spot for something like that to have happened. Or this is, you know, I want to use a lot of the thousands of pictures I took as actual, you know, fucking templates for the actual backgrounds of the book, you know, and that way, if I look at a certain panel in the book, I can like, be like, that is that spot where I walked up that hill and saw that waterfall or whatever. And I don't care if anybody else feels it. I'll know I did that and it'll be fucking awesome. Right. And I think a lot of creators, you know, they, they, they need to check themselves sometimes and remember that the process is the reason right like a lot of people yeah. just 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 focus on yeah. that end goal and then once they get close to it and they want to get it out and get it kickstarted and i get it you got to go on the rush you got to go on the pr run i get it you got to do the tour but it's like you know just don't forget that you did it for you and that was the most important part you know a, a, a fascinating thing jim henson yes you know why hardly any of the fucking original muppets exist because he threw them away he would make the Muppet, he would film the scene, and then throw the Muppet away. Because to him, the piece of art he was creating was the skit. Once it was filmed, it was done. That was the final edit. That was the final piece, right? Was the yeah. fucking skit. The fucking Muppet itself was just like a pen he used to draw it. You yeah. know what I mean? So he would just throw them away. And then his kids got a little older and were like, we should probably keep those, Dad. Like... Might be a good idea, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, but that was his outlook, and I get it. And uh, and you know, and having experienced all this, just literally doing it for myself, is uh, it's a, it's a wondrous thing, man. I forgot it was when I first started writing. I was like, hey, the only way I'm going to do this is just puke words on the pages. I'm just gonna like like in grade three. I remember when I was in grade three, I wrote a story about Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, and Frankenstein all getting together at Dracula's castle for a dinner party. Okay, I wrote this in grade three. I remember it vividly. And how much fun I had writing it, I remember as well. So when I just started puking pages, on like words onto the page, it all came flushing back to me how much fun it is to write. I haven't thought about how much fun it is to write in 25 years, man. Like, that's just not been my focus, right? Yeah. And to be literally have my brain, the inside of my brain was instantly transported back to fucking 1985. Mm. And it was amazing, dude. It was the best fucking feeling, you know? It um, it, It's funny because, like, when I'm in it, I need to be fully in it. And the other stuff, like, I can balance. I can balance. God. This past year, I've learned that I can balance a whole lot at once. Yes, yeah, you can right? full life because 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 it's like it's like promoting this book, putting the special edition of Parallel together, uh, bringing together the Kickstarter, uh, teaching full time the three kids. I'm in the middle of a really nasty battle with colon cancer. Yeah. I mean, okay. Like, what the fuck? Okay. Listen, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to start this entire fucking podcast off by saying fucking dude, elephant in the room. How's the fucking yeah, cancer? But instead we waited till like almost an hour in to well, even dude, address the fact even, that like, on I top wish, of all like, of this, you're fighting fucking <laughs> cancer. No big deal. Like we'll talk about that like, later. I, I get it that that's like a big deal, but I gotta tell you, man, that was just that was the shitty icing on the cake of a year before that. That was I thought the worst that it could be because we, my family, 
um, um, my, my wife lost both of her parents and I lost my dad and it all happened within nine months. And it was like, it was like, it was like the, the, the shit stew of all the different ways too. like, like my wife's mom was end of a five-year struggle with, uh, uh, dementia. And then her dad kind of like, well, I saw her through it. Now I'm going to let my health collapse. And he had a nasty two week of, of lung disease in the hospital. Then he went. And then my dad out of nowhere on Thanksgiving weekend, like literally like I'm watching him, I'm making him his last Turkey on Thursday and then watching them try to revive him for 45 minutes on Saturday. And like, like, like it was like, it was all that. And then we had this summer where it was like the reset for like the five of us. Right. My kids, my wife and I, and we came back from a vacation and, um, the plan was uh, Dr. Christy Blanche and I were going to we were going to do the Kickstarter that August and right. then Parallel Special Edition was going to be, you know, early 2023. And um, I went in for a routine colonoscopy. No symptoms or anything. Right. Like it was literally the year I turned 45 the year you and I turned 45 here in the States. They changed the recommended age for your first colonoscopy from 50 <laughs> to 45. I heard about So that. I'm just, yeah. you know, I was just a rule follower. I just like went. I just went. Yeah. It's like my doctor said, hey, go. And I was like, okay, go in there, come out of the anesthesia. And I'm doing the um, I'm do I'm like making a joke with the doctor. And because I'm still a little bit doped up, I'm not seeing the body language. And like you can like if you look over at, at my wife, she's just like, something's wrong. Cause like the doctor did not have the bedside manner that you would hope for. And he just laid it on me. And like there's this, we found a tumor. We found this big old thing growing inside your colon. And it was just like, I, I, on t- I thought we were through, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. big, terrible Fucking year. And I thought, I thought that that was, you know, yeah. and, and then, and then boom. And, um, surgery literally a couple weeks later, um, you know, pretty rapid recovery and good test results. And then, you know, I said, parallel special edition gets moved up. Kickstarter gets moved back, but you're still busy. I'm teaching. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing my recovery. And like everything's, you know, I'm nervous as all hell about this Kickstarter. Let's be honest. It's my first one. I'm always scared about new. Um, But then some pretty crappy news this last week. And I get my six-month CT scan, and there's new growth on the outside of my colon. Uh. Now, at the time of you and me recording this, is there a chance that it's scar tissue? Yes, there is. Is there a pretty decent chance that it's more cancer? Sure. I'm still a week and a half away from the PET scan that's going to tell me one way or the other. But, like, I can balance. I think the point of all this was, like, I can balance all of that. But when I'm writing... And that's, it's gotta be kind of the only thing. It's kind of gotta be the only thing. So I don't know. I don't know yet what the next chunk of writing is going to look like. Cause like when this Kickstarter, if this Kickstarter goes well, right. Um, the plan is pretty hot on its heels, 120 page OGN of the entire Jane American story. And now all of it, every single ounce of that is plotted. Story beats exist. I know exactly what the story is, but the fun part is fleshing it out, right? Making the connective tissue, breaking down the pages, getting that dialogue in there. And I haven't had one of my immersive writing periods, which I had for the one shot, which I had for parallel, which I even got a little burst on because like parallel special editions got a 10 page bonus story in the back. 
And I got to do all those without cancer on my mind. Right. That's a big unknown for me, man. I don't right. know what that's going to look like. Right. I think I can do it, but I haven't tried it yet. And that scares me a little bit. But a little bit? <laughs> well, no, okay, no. You, what you're hearing me say is, what scares me a little bit is, I haven't written with something like that. I haven't written with that elephant on my shoulder yet. Right. Right. You know what? I, I've taught eighth graders with that elephant in the room. I've continued to be a dad with that elephant in the room. I went to Muncie, Indiana last Saturday and did a convention for Dr. Christie with that elephant. So what's fueling you? What is fueling your, your strength through this? What is, uh, or is it just like, keep going? Are you just like looking forward? You got the blinders on, you keep going or are you, no, no. are you being reflective? Like I got to stay strong for the kids. Like, where's it coming from? Cause so it's, it's coming from somewhere. Cause you obviously have not taken a step back. You keep moving forward. There's a, there's a little, it's a mix. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, okay. I'm going to be completely honest with you. My instinct, who I am as a person would be to curl up in a ball, feel sorry for myself and wait for death. I'm going to be honest with you. um, With the eighth graders last 10 years, we start every single uh, class with a prompt. It's a little little tag on the board. It just gets them thinking, gets them talking to each other. A lot of times it's kind of light, you know, uh, flight or invisibility, right? Just gets them thinking, gets them talking to each other. Hey, a time you were terrible to a sibling, gets them telling stories. Sometimes it's academic related to something we're talking about. And sometimes it's pretty deep and heavy. And there there was this old prompt that I used to give them pre-pandemic and it kind of fell out of rotation. And now I don't think I'd be comfortable with it anyway. But it was it was a kind of a classic prompt of, would you want to know the timestamp on your own life? Like, would you want to know when you're going to die? And, um, you know, eighth graders being newly self-aware have a pretty interesting take on that. And it's usually a mixed bag. And any class that was interesting enough to ask me what my opinion was, this is now years ago, I'd be like, absolutely not. Because I know myself well enough that whether it was five minutes from now or 50 years from now, I would end up completely wasting all of that time by curling up in the ball right. and just wasting it until it was over. And now that I'm actually faced with that possible, like real mortality for the first time in my life, um, it was still my instinct. But the next day came anyway. And like, kids were still outside the bedroom and they needed me. Right. And, and I started the school year for the first time in 23 years with not me in the room. And because I knew that this is, Oh my God, this is how insane I am. I literally made before surgery a video lesson teaching every single class that I knew I would be gone for. So they saw my big fat face was on the screen every day. I was gone teaching them while the sub kind of pressed play um, because, you know, Jesus. like, like, like I, th- I still had this job to do. Right. And, and, and look for this project for Jane American, I told you how deeply personal it is because of who it's inspired by. Right. But like my grandfather who this, this, he made it to 99 passed away a week and a half ago. It was also his, like, I can't tell you Jay, how important it was to just him. a week and a half ago today. Uh, 
almost two weeks ago today. Fucking Jesus. But but look, no, that (laughs) one, you're not allowed. Look, everybody's like, oh, sorry about your grandpa. Dude made it to 99 years. Oh, yeah, old. yeah, yeah. I'm just, I can't believe you know, we're having this conversation in the married, middle of all this. high school shit. sweetheart at 19. Like, wow. was the president of Qantas International in 1989. I mean, the dude lived the life. But in the last year of his life, one of the things that gave him a lot of pleasure was to know that his name and the name of his late wife, his childhood sweetheart, was gonna see print in this book oh and that's big motivation for me too so yeah, like, no matter what i'm Aww. going through like i'm Jesus, doing this dude. For them. and so like it actually in a lot of ways sounds like adds, you're doing this for fucking everybody dude but it, it i mean it adds I, i'm gonna be honest with you it adds, it adds a lot of pressure because you know like i mean kicks i mean you know kicks it's my first it one seem like you're taking it as pressure though it seems like you're taking it as motivation well, of course. I mean, how else are you going to do it? Like, like, like curl up in a ball and fr- fucking cry. Pressure, <laughs> like, if you focus on the pressure, it's too easy to pull. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the pressure as well, uh, that gets my adrenaline up. So I, I, I probably bought myself an extra hour or two because I'm not going to sleep. Um, you know, like, like I, I really, really, really want to see this succeed. For a lot of reasons, right? Because it's my passion, because it means a lot to me, because it's a story that that I I just look, you know what the long-term goal of this is? I'll tell you what the long-term goal. The 32-page Kickstarter is something that I want to get in the world because I want people to get the taste for this story and love it and want to continue to support it. I want to get the, this 32 page Kickstarter in the world because it gives me an opportunity to do, to embrace the, um, the 12 year old nerd in me from like the early, the late eighties, early nineties, because dude, when you see these tears, Jay, oh my God, I got, I got some cover artists. Okay. <laughs> I got some pretty awesome cover artists and I got some pretty awesome tears of support. And let me tell you this one thing. There's, there's two of them that, just I I I grin and I get a little tongue tied because I'm so excited. Now one of them, there's gonna be almost as an homage to like old school Valiant covers. There's gonna be like a, an awesome Chromium cover, like nice. for no other reason than you know what? Fuck yeah, Chrome it up. I know it's still in the dollar bin, but that Bloodshot number one looks really good and so does that turok number one you know that's what you want to do you chrome that shit up man fuck yeah but let me tell you about this so um there might just be a cover and the great garrett gun might have named it for me it's called the granddad's attic variant and um uh, uh, uh the great designer and letter dave lentz might have taken this cover that already had a pretty vintage feel to it okay an homage to another comic from like the 40s right and uh, we vintage it up and it, you know we we aged the cover to make it look <laughs> old and then we're putting it through this process the pr- printing process called i don't know if you've heard of this it's called a soft touch laminate yeah and a soft touch laminate feels a bit like suede and this cover this sucker is going to literally look and feel like it came out of your granddad's attic from the mid 1940s that's it's amazing wicked awesome love it so like so when you look at the one shot when you look at this story as important as the story is i'm getting to live out some fantasies of like <laughs> making a really cool book to put in 
readers and collectors. Dude, hands, if you're going right? to do a, like I've always said, if you're going to do a fucking Kickstarter, do it up because like, not enough people fun. do, right? Absolutely. You know, and I'm trying to cover all the base. I've got, I've got this, this retailer incentive pack that's like guaranteed to make retailers twice their money back. You know, right. I've got, we've, we've just designed, I need to give away a secret right here. Yeah, be careful. We've got this little add-on that Dave and I designed uh, a week and a half ago. How about a recreation of the Western Union telegram? The letter from Jane's dad's commanding officer with the letter of condolence that he hasn't going to come back from the war. And it's on the Western Union stationery and it's aged and it's got that raised print. Wow. I mean, I'm having so much fun with that part of it too. The you know the collector and the producer me, but I'm telling you, long you're term, Dirk Manning this fucking Dirk Manning this shit up. <laughs> long term, the goal. I want I want this to go so well that it cuts into the cost of producing the 120 page graphic novel as well. Like when sure. you go in when the Kickstarter goes live, you scroll down and you go past the meet the creator section. And I've got my transparency section. And transparency section one is the pie chart of where every single dollar of, of the goal goes right. to, right? There's not a penny of profit in this for me. It's all about getting it into the world. And then right below that, I've got my tag that says, and one cent over, right? Whether it's one cent over or we hit stretch goal one, two, three, or beyond. Every penny beyond the goal is, again, not a penny to me. It is directly into the production of the 120-page graphic novel, The Full Story right. of Jane, because my long-term goal, Jay, is I want this book in schools and libraries across the country. Fuck yeah, man. That's the way to do it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Fucking, do you have Scholastic? Oh, of course we've got Scholastic. Dude, I'm sorry. Scholastic. I, just, I didn't know if it was just Canadian. I didn't know if they were Canadian. No, man. Scholastic. Scholastic changed reading in elementary schools oh, when yeah. they bought Bone. When Fucking they bought the rights fair, to dude. Bone in the early 2000s, yeah, and they yeah. started printing those 9.99 colored trades of Jeff Smith's Bone. Um, my classroom, my fourth grade classroom, transformed into 25% reluctant readers to every kid wanted to read every single day. Heck yeah, we've got Scholastic. Fucking nice. I, uh, yeah, I have a few friends who have done projects with Scholastic over the years. And uh yeah, some rad stuff. Uh like oh fuck, who was it? One of those fuckers did the magic school bus fucking comic book. Oh no kidding. And another one of them did uh these special I think it was Dave Bishop did these uh comics for the city of Mississauga that were like history of the city, like comic oh, books cool. that they made and yeah. shit. But yeah, man, no rad stuff. I remember the book fairs, man. That was fucking, that was the coolest time. Um, and those Yeah, that'd be right awesome now, to have that. Awesome. Do they still those have book fairs yeah. in elementary schools and middle schools are dominated by yeah. graphic novels right now. I can't get my kid to read shit, man. It's really hard. I was a voracious reader when I was a kid. It's really hard to get them to sit down with like a book that isn't about something they don't already know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like fucking. Well, it's are you, read the you, Jungle I'm, Book I'm assuming, too? You know, like I'm assuming you've discovered read call the terrible. Wild. I'm assuming you've discovered that terrible parent irony of a lot of times the things that you love the most are automatically the thing that isn't going to resonate with your kids. No, here's the thing though. This you said you're not doing thing, that. 
this is the shame that I'm finding in the world and why that whole recent David controversy um, oh, God. just blows my mind is that even you think in a time when we have more communication and more technology and more information that things like the classics and the great works of time would have been more cemented in our heads. People would have shared these things more and have been able to share more of an appreciation for them when, in fact, the opposite has happened. And, you know, all these classic works of literature are only going to be known to these next generations as movies or whatever not that they haven't always made movies out of these things but even for me growing up as a kid in the 80s and 90s i still read call the wild moby dick last the mohicans david copperfield i read all these classic fucking books because they were the good books they were the best stories right and like there wasn't as much like young adult there back then there wasn't as much ya like pre like christopher pike and shit you know what i mean it right. wasn't until that shit started that we had those books to read so it's just well, a dude. Sh- <laughs> it's a shame to me that like that the kids just have no desire to read these amazing yeah. fuck like the 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 jungle book 2 changed my life to this day it's the most influential thing i've ever read you uh, it's funny though like i think i think cognitively almost brain structure things have got to change over generations because what was considered children's literature a hundred years ago is almost incomprehensible to kids today like like you're familiar with the work wind in the willows yeah oh yeah but that was like a little kid's book and you try you try to get an elementary school kid to read besides like a certain small percentage wind in the willows today. And it's like, it, they might as well be reading a foreign language. It or is Shakespeare, right? Right. Yeah. Densely yeah. populated, uh, <laughs> a language to a point where it's like, I can't even comprehend this. What do you, what do you put? Right. Yeah. 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 It's like, we, I never read cause I had to, or needed to, you read cause you wanted to. Oh, heck like, yeah, it dude. was, it was fun. It was like, I still to this day reading, like you don't escape out of the world much more than you do when you're reading like because you're yeah. fucking you literally you're focused through this eye warp thing it's not even like watching a movie or tv or even meditating it's you're taken so out of yourself and the world at the same time that's yeah, why i love and those reading, kids I'm, yeah? I'm here I'm, I'm gonna tell you today i mean those kids still exist those kids yeah. are in my classroom right now good to know um, I, good to I hear. think it feels like less but they're still there all right good yeah, it's weird because me and my kid are so different that way. He's such a modern kid, and I'm such an old school fucking '80s kid that it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to comprehend. All right, uh, while we got a few minutes left, uh, yeah. let's talk a little bit more about the goddamn Kickstarter that's coming out okay. in a second. So, uh, the like, book- I, I don't know, I don't know when you're posting, but like what what we can do right now. So I'm speaking. This from... will be out before the Kickstarter. Okay, okay, starts. okay. So I know exactly yeah. what I what we need to say then. Yeah, and, and it's simply this: my understanding and my my naive position of this being my first one is that one of the keys to success of a successful campaign is having as many people pre-signed up to be notified upon launch as possible. Right. right? Yeah. That way, you're not missing. Uh, you're not missing the early deals of which there's some in there. There's some timestamps on there that there might just be a textless variant of one of the covers that if you want it, you got to get in early. Right. Um, so going 
to Kickstarter right now when you hear this. And the best way to do that, because, you know, I've got the link, the links in my bio on my IG page uh, at J Douglas writes, you can't miss me. It's a picture of me in my hospital gown, doing a flex, holding an IV in my hand. Okay. Superheroing the recovery process. Nice. You go there. I got a link in my bio, but the easiest way to do it is you just go to kickstarter.com. You type in two words, Jane American. It's the first one that pops up and you, you click that notify me upon launch button. And that's all you're doing. Right. It's just going to let you know on May 2nd that it's time. It's go time. And then you come and you do that thing that so many of us in this community do so well, which is you support indie comics. You support people who are passionate about what they're doing and their dream. I mean, there are people. I mean, you know this, right? There are there are creative people on Kickstarter right now who who are depending on us not only to keep their dreams alive, but this is how they Make it day to day too. Oh yeah. Now, like for I told sure. you earlier, this is, you know, th- this is not about money. For me. This is pure passion. This is about getting this story that I feel is really important out to the world. Every sure. single penny of this goes to my creative team, goes to production, goes to fulfillment, right? Goes to printing. And every penny over that goes to the next production of getting the much larger story out to the world as well. Mm. So you know, I've got that personal more uh, that personal motivation. This is for my grandparents, right? Mm. This is for this is for every student who has struggled with identity through my classroom. This is because and I'm going to get heavy here, but this is because I've never felt more mortal, right? And and I want this to exist in the world. And the fact is, I can't do it without everybody's help i can't yeah right yeah yeah i mean if i could afford if i was some money bags i'm a public school teacher people <laughs> if i was some money bags i'd just pay for it print a gazillion yeah. copies and just walk door to door and say hey you want to buy this comic but but i gotta do it this way so i need, yeah. i need help i, I want the kids people. out there to know too that the the reason one of the big reasons why the pre-launch and the pre-sign up is so important that the odds of a Kickstarter being successful when it's had a strong start are infinitesimally I don't think I just said that word right. Um larger than when it's a slow start. There's a lot of slow started Kickstarters, you know, they it's a it's a long, slow, hard grind. But if you can make that strong start. Uh, it's very, very important. So kids, I encourage you not to sleep on this kind of thing. Like, you know, you're going to pledge anyways, like, fuck, just like do it quick and don't be shitty. So just want kids to understand how much like it increases the odds of a fucking, cause it's also like a rule. It's like a trend, like, you know, and I've seen enough of these like hundreds and fucking hundreds of times now. And you know, it's that first day is huge as well. And it's yeah. the sharing, you know, it's when you get out there, you've got to share that shit. And when it gets shared enough times, even on that first day, you're lucky enough. You're pretty much funded that first fucking day. How much you asking for? So to get this thing out into the world, we need 7,200 bucks, which is, um, which is pretty good. What? I've, I've worked, yeah. I've worked really, what? really hard. I know. I know it's, it's, it's like lower than a lot of things. And, um, that's all we got to do. Done. Well, the estimate, I'll tell you, listen, this is, this is, you know me well enough by now. Fuck, we had Sean Daly 15 grand really, by really noon. really, hard to get that number down. 
Right. Uh, the estimate, like when Christy and Garrett and I were talking about it at the beginning, they were thinking, well, it's going to be 10, 10 plus. And I'm like, I can do better than that. And like, dude, like I, I just like, t- talking to friends, finding ways to do this, finding ways to do that. Like one of my one of my exclusive cover artists is a pretty big name in the comic industry. Um, you may have heard of Mr. Cena Grace who uh, Iceman and X-Men for Marvel and is doing Superman for DC right now, who used to run Skybound for Kirkman and was the editor on The Walking Dead. Fucking Cena Grace, man. He made your favor because he's a friend, you know? He's a beautiful human. um, You know, like, like, like I've got a retailer friend who's letting me cut in on, on his mailers, right? At his price, instead of the price that like a printing press would do. Check this out. You know what one of my favorite parts about this Kickstarter is and about this process? This book, right? It's it's about historical Plymouth, Michigan, right? Takes place here. It's real. This is the place I grew up. This is where my grandparents uh, had all these experiences. Our book is going to be printed in Plymouth, Michigan at a shop that's been a part of this community for 45 years. Awesome. Um, it's a partnership, Right. Right. And like we we're designing an ad that goes on the back page that's just about like redesigning their logo and putting like a Jane American feel on it. And and I got a little bit of a deal on each book because of that. You know, um a retailer friend of mine I'm working with, uh I'm pretty sure, don't completely quote me on this because I've only got a certain number of them, but I've got a lot. I'm gonna be shipping these suckers in Mylar. And I went and I worked in his shop for several weekends in a row in exchange Jesus. for all the shipping material, you know, all the, the bags and the boards, right, the right. highest quality that you can get. So like I have been working my butt off, you know, not only to make an interesting Kickstarter that people are going to be engaged in and interested in and want to support, but like finding a way to make it even more manageable so we can get that goal and I can get it in people's hands. Nice. I appreciate your, uh, you know, fiscal awareness. A lot of people don't have it and it's important. I want it to work, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 7,200. Jesus Christ. I'm not concerned. Um, we can do it. We can do it, right? I think we can do it fairly fucking easily, my friend. Uh, especially if you keep putting this kind of hustle into well, life. I think you can do anything you fucking you put your mind to. I think man. I've got some pretty cool stretch goals, too. Yeah, talk. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I'm really excited about the stretch goals because, like I, like I said, I want... I look, I want it to exist. I want to hit that mark. I want to hit that goal. What I really want to do is I want to double the goal. I want to triple the goal because I want to fund the 102 page, 120 page graphic novel and right. just put that in all the world right on the back of this. That's what I right. want. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right. You got two minutes left to say whatever you want to say about this goddamn Kickstarter, Jason. Well, Douglas. I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to use my two minutes for two purposes. Number one, let's get let's get the selfish thing out of the way. This book means a lot to me. Everybody's support means a lot to me, right? Indie creator out there trying to make it happen, right? For myself, for my dream. Uh, but, you know, for the for the kids that it, it inspires, for my late grandparents, um, to get a story that I think people are going to be able to relate to and enjoy out into the world for that artistic purpose. The other thing I want to make clear. Oh, so so go to kickstarter.com right now. Jane American, sign up for the pre-launch. That's right. it. And you'll yeah. get to see all kinds of really cool stuff. Okay. So enough about me. 
last minute, thank you. Thank you to everybody listening. Thank you specifically to you, Jay, and your show. Because like I said at the top, you were a formative experience for me. And it meant the world that here we are again at another start of another hopeful, successful leg of my comics journey. You were there at the beginning of the first one. I am now at the beginning of the second one. And I consider it an honor that I got to do both of those jump offs with you. The honor is all mine, sir. To watch your journey has been an absolute pleasure and more so a fucking inspiration, man. Like uh, you are fucking holding shit together. Uh, I know you're probably even thinking to yourself right now, fucking not all the time. I'm sure. No, I'm trying. How about that? I'm trying. Yes, I'm sure you have your fucking moments. But uh, dude, I'm telling you, all hustle and all hard work will be justly rewarded because that's just the fucking nature of the goddamn universe. And I know very few people hustling as hard as you are and who are as deserving as you are. So, uh, yeah, uh, I wish you all the best. Uh, in your comic book, in your children, in your job, in your fucking cancer. Um, let's <laughs> let's keep the uh, scar tissue thoughts in mind, kids. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, uh, I hope it goes that way. Otherwise, even if it doesn't, I know you're probably going to hustle enough to kick the shit out of it again this time. Um, so our thoughts are with you. The force is strong with you, my friend. And uh, that's you know, what I wanted to hear. That's the I line I needed faith. to hear from you. I have great faith. Um, thank Jason, you. thank you so much uh, for this incredible conversation. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and you. Sounds good. Thanks, man. I really appreciate the time. Of course, kids, again, one last time, get on to Kickstarter, Jane American. Uh, add to the 81 people who are already waiting for the green light 81 people are sitting there just waiting for the fucking go ahead to get in on this and scoop up all those amazing goddamn stretch goals uh get in there kids uh that's jane american um i'm going to calgary fuckers <laughs> <laughs>